0: For every one hour of content that someone consumes of you, that is an extra thousand dollars that they're willing to spend with you. So if they've consumed 10 hours, 10 grand, 20, 20 grand, right? It's not an exact science. I've had people who have just seen me like what I have to offer and pay me 10 grand right there on the spot. But I find that a majority of the people have to see a bit of content and have to experience you a little bit before actually making a purchase with you.
1: The Move Entrepreneur Podcast. Get on it. And I'm packed back. I'm not packed. I am back (laughs) to uh, get another episode of the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. I'm super pumped today. I have been seeing this guy all over the place. Maybe if you're in the coaching space, you have also seen him as well. This is Coaches Monthly, and I've got Mr. Jason Fox. What is up, man? Try to give you the best intro I could.
0: How's it going, brother? Good man, good must be that uh, that sun that sunstroke getting to you, man. Pap back all, all dude. The- I was
1: telling you in the beginning yeah. of this, I was like, I looked at you and I was like, you know what,
0: maybe <laughs> I- <laughs> uh, made him change his the, lighting I don't know, it's change the it, man.
1: But I, you know, the thing is, we've been raining, and yeah. I went out the other day and I was like, hey, you know, I'll just go down and go down the beach or whatever. And, you know, like this is like that cloud sun, yeah that you don't believe it's anything, you know? And so you kind of give it a, a good old swing, I guess. But um, yeah, man, let's, let's start this thing right off. Let's, uh, let's have a little bit of fun here. So I'm going to kind of pull back a little bit. I'm going to kind of bring us back to an old thing. Uh, maybe you'll be able to kick this. Maybe you'll even be able to pull the year. But uh, introducing my latest venture uh, over the last few months, I've been exploring many options of what to do next in my life. The process has been long and challenging through a lot of self-reflection and discussion with the same great people. I figured out what I want to do. I'm going to create a personal brand that is recognized for business knowledge, entrepreneurship, and hustle. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, damn, man. That's like five years ago at least. (laughs) You
1: nailed it. 2017. So maybe we could just take us back, man. What was going on during that that time period?
0: Yeah, so... I um I kind of have like a, a long winded story, but I'll, I'll shorten up a little bit. So I went over to America. I'm, I'm from Australia. I'm in America now, but I went over to America for a soccer scholarship. Um, because you know I played soccer all my life, played in England professionally, and then wanted to continue the career. Um, and education was always something that my parents wanted me to do. So I like said, okay, cool. Um. And it was funny that my parents encouraged education because both of them didn't finish grade 10 in high school. I was actually the first person to graduate high school in my family um, <laughs> and then graduate college and then a master's. So had a, uh, a you know, five years in, in the States, loved, I didn't really like school. I was always like a C and D student just because sports and athletics like got me by. I mean, when you have a C, it's equivalent to an A. If you're an athlete, um, some people will understand the- that. You and, mean the, per- uh,
1: the perks are the A. Yeah, yeah you got away with
0: a lot, um, especially yeah. if you are contributing to the school, right? Like I was like the captain of the soccer team. We were winning championships, all that sort of thing. So moved over to the US. Then I actually fell in love with school, believe it or not. Like I really loved, um, I, my, I picked my major as entrepreneurship, which is like a lot of people would say you can't major in that. But it was really good because a professor who taught entrepreneurship actually sold his company for 30 something million and decided to come back and teach. So he was actually like a practitioner, not just, you know, a 60 grand a year teacher. So it was amazing. And I really learned a lot and I fell in love with that process of of being an entrepreneur, trying to sell things, stuff like that. Graduated, came back to Australia and tried to get a job. And I'm not like a traditional, you know, post a resume and try to get a job. Like I hustled, I would find people on Instagram, message them, the recruiters, i would do whatever I could, you know? Um, but no one wanted to hire me. And I think it's, you know, I had an MBA, had this experience. But I think it was mostly because I wanted to apply for jobs that were like five years ahead of where I was on my resume corporate ladder. Um, but that's because those jobs appealed to me. I didn't really want to start with some entry level like data mining type thing. Um, then I couldn't get anything. No one would hire me. My dad said, man, why don't you just try to do something on your own? And I was like, all right. Cool, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah. I started my own uh, my my own agency, um, and then was working driving a forklift and working in a warehouse on the side. Really started the agency, and that started growing like 2018, 2019, and um, that's kind of really where things things took off. And I wanted to use my personal brand and voice to you know communicate that with people, and uh, that's that's how we ended up.
1: So a lot of it kind of stemmed from what I'm hearing is you anchored off of the leadership that you had already kind of created in sense in high school or, you know, sports and things like that. You said, well, wait a minute, I can lead this. And um, the transition, you kind of turned it onto the education side and said, hey, I can kind of pull that as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like I always found myself as like the leader and like the influencer, if you will, like, you know, in friend groups, things would go through me. I was always like the decision maker. Um, and that, you know, whether it's like ego or whatever, like doesn't really matter, but that's kind of what I held true and enjoy is, is being that leader, being the person that people come to. So I wanted to, you know, expand that and expand my influence, um, not only to help more people, but because like, that's what I'm good at and what I like to do. So that was a big reason we, uh, you know, continued and got into entrepreneurship.
1: Uh, during that time that was uh 17 so we would talk is it like ad agency was it uh uh because it i don't know if the coaching stuff had kind of come no so i yet. started
0: yeah yeah so i started with my own like um digital marketing agency i offered everything at the start which was silly um but then you i transitioned to just offering uh facebook ads and like that is where it took off when i just like narrowed my service and, and focus, and started getting great results for people started like really learning. I I think the biggest issue is like the people don't know client acquisition. And once I started to learn that and like client acquisition is something that you just learn and like hope that it works. Client acquisition is like, like a lifestyle. (laughs) I like to look at it like you're constantly trying to get new clients. And I think that too many people don't have that mindset. They're like, oh, I want some hack or some GHL BS automation. Like they are not in it for client acquisition. So once I learned that, the agency started to grow because that was my focus. Every day I wake up, who's got my money? How can I make more money? So that is, um, you know, the, the, the focus of the agency was really growing as big as possible. Uh,
1: I know that um, through that and you have that mindset, this is an interesting thing to talk about. There's a split between client acquisition and then delivery and being young in business. Where was that fork that you ran into for yourself where you said, look, I mean, i mean." I can hunt all the time, but I've got to I got to take this buffalo and I've got to actually cut the meat and I got to start feeding it to the you know I got to deliver it, you know and and yeah. so where where was that point where you were using a skill of client acquisition kind of the hunter I always considered it and you're killing more and more and more but now you have these people backing up where was that position for you where you said wait a minute if I don't shift something because I, I I've been there before so I know there's like a shift there what was it like for you?
0: Yeah, Uh, everyone really goes through it. And it's the period where your churn matches the rate of your acquisition. So if you're losing three clients a month, but you're acquiring three clients a month, you're not going to grow. And when churn meets acquisition, that is like the biggest issue for for agencies. And we found that out relatively early. It was probably about like five clients would come in, two or three would leave. So we were never like not profitable because we always had a buffer. But if we kept going in that trajectory, that would happen. Now, like a lot of people left us because that's just kind of the, the nature of the game. they seen some new opportunity, someone new comes along. But some people left us because the results weren't there. And I'll always happily admit that. Um, not not happily, but willingly admit that because we made mistakes and we weren't as focused on that part of the business. And it's a big reason and we'll probably get into it why we shifted things recently. But when you are in that acquisition mode, is that you are always thinking about the next thing, the next thing. And it's funny, your prospects actually see you as more valuable than your clients do, right? Because you're producing this free content, you're doing all this stuff for, for the prospects, not the clients. So we learned that actually quite early, um, where we had some really good clients who were really honest with us and would really like respect and loved our knowledge, but knew that we were young. And they kind of helped us with that. They were like, look, I mean, the results aren't there. I could just churn, but I trust you guys and you guys know what you're doing. So I just need more attention. And we gave that. And it was a really cool thing that we were able to not experiment because we knew what we were doing with ads. We were getting great results, but more so learn from these clients who gave us the opportunity to make up for the mistakes that we made early. Um, So that's, that's a really good question is like the churn and acquisition. We focused too much on acquisition, not enough on churn. And then eventually it caught up with us, but we had the opportunity to rectify it, which was fantastic.
1: I think there's a really good point that's made there and it never it never sounds good, um, but you have to let yourself be willing to let those clients go and not hold on to um what you didn't do properly because it was a part of your business process of yeah. going through it.
0: Yeah, um, you kind of had to go through it. Like I I mean you don't have to, but I you did kind of have to go through it because that was the only way I learned.
1: I always uh I always try to correlate it to if you if I was an e-com and, and if you look at e-commerce businesses, you can always you can always count on eight to ten percent are gonna return the goods. Yeah. And I think that when we get in these type of businesses, we tend to look at them more on an emotional creature than as just as a customer that may not churn and and then take it emotionally and say, Man, my whole business is messed up. When in reality it was just kind of part of that process. Mm-hmm. When you um go go kind of went through that process did you have a partner or were you doing it for, doing it by yourself
0: i have a business partner who's also my brother um so it was both of us
1: and then did he have skill sets that uh, you didn't have or what who who held different hat, hats
0: oh uh, yeah i mean when you're picking a partnership i think so many people go in with the mindset of like oh i need someone similar to me similar ambition want to grow and we're going to do this together that's the worst type of partnership for us, my brother and I, not only opposites in a lot of personalities, but we're opposites in terms of the business side, is that his systems, backend implementation, um, ideas, go forward marketing. So it gave us that like complementary skill set. And I always, and math was never my strong suit, but I always say it to him whenever we're struggling is something is that. When you have business partners both of those people should be like equivalent to the entrepreneur who is, is crushing it and doing well rain making so one plus one should equal 10 when it comes to business partners and relationships mm. If one plus one just equals two where you're just putting out the same sort of output then there's no point in the business partnership at all you may as well just do that your work yourself or hire someone skilled enough to do that extra work so with the business partnership with us he was fantastic at delivery. I was fantastic at marketing. So one plus one equals 10. And that's where people should go um, if they're looking to do partnerships.
1: I probably would butcher the story, but if you've ever heard the story of an ox mm-hmm. pulls, pulls X amount of weight um, and then three oxes could like, let's say it's like pulls yeah. 100 pounds or something. And then three oxes can pull like 60,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that that statistic was fantastic because that unity... Of when people come together um it's almost like the universe just says you know we're going to give you a little extra strength to kind of get through it um and push oh. you through um we are chatted about uh, kind of the conversations earlier i always like to say in the green room but there was really no green room in the back it was uh, green but yeah, it so. was, <laughs> yeah we were behind there yeah um but when we were talking you, you had uh, moved from australia congratulations i know you had said you went to school out here i always think it's cool when people travel and things like that Um, what's the difference? Do you work with uh anybody that is in Australia? Do you keep most of your clients or all your clients in the US?
0: Uh I actually can't remember the last time we signed a client from Australia. Um, but that's funny because you know, two years ago I would have said the opposite uh when we're in Australia. I think it kind of naturally like migrates time zones, you know, when I'm posting, stuff like that. The US kind of gets all of it, Australia doesn't. But when we do have Australian clients, like they are excited because most people in this industry aren't Australian, there's not many. Um it's it's probably like ninety percent u s Europe and then like ten percent Australia at the moment.
1: What's the difference um when working with people from the u s and people of Australia? what's kind of the mindset between the two? Is it one a spender and one skeptic or you know what what's the I think cultures are fascinating. I think when you when you work with different cultures, um there's kind of a I don't know how you say it I've lived in. I lived in multiple countries and I remember when I was in Thailand. And if in Thailand, everybody's like, hello, hello, hey, how you doing? Everybody's just like loves you right off the bat. You're going to have to mess up and then they'll kill you. But other than that, the uh, living in the Philippines, uh, I always felt that there was kind of a little buffer before I let you in. And then once they let you in, it's like, oh, okay, now you're family, you know? So what I, uh, the Australian culture, I have some experience, but not on a business side. Uh, what's what's the cultural differences between those two different countries and this type of yeah. business?
0: Australia is very much, they do business just like they are in in person. We have a very laid back, relaxed, um, you know, go down to the pub, drink a beer, watch the footy type culture, Um, especially because like, that's kind of where I'm from. Like the kind of blue collar uh, people are are my, my sort of people, the, the high viz, the working in the warehouse. So I think that that like is the culture that I see a lot more because that's who I am. Whereas In America, probably the biggest cultural difference that I learned was very early on when I was in university is 18 to 22 year olds in Australia, they don't have a clear path to what they want to do next in life because university isn't such a, like, this is the next step and go from there. I would say half my friends at minimum didn't even do any university at all and they still have Mm -hmm. jobs and they're still successful. So that was a big difference for me is like everyone pretty much I knew went through college. Um, but I really like it about America. And I think that people trying to take away and dismantle college because yeah, entrepreneurship, whatever. I think that it's, it's wrong because college is such a good way for people to interact and to learn and to just be themselves because it's four years where you can essentially just mess up all over the mm-hmm. place and you're still fine after that. You're still 22. You're so young. And yes, I think the costs and all of that, that's all BS. But realistically I, I like college in that sense and i found that a lot of americans are very ambitious in their pursuit of their own career and i think it's that's great i think america kind of pride themselves on it's cool to be smart in australia in my my um high schools especially people i hung out with like it wasn't really that cool to be smart which is such a silly thing like looking back on it but i think in america like that culture is 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 big people are very you know, interested in, in being smart and ambitious and doing things. Um, but in Australia, we have this thing called tall poppy syndrome. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but I it's haven't. essentially um, the, the tall poppy is like a field of poppies and the one poppy stands out, right? They're, they're flowers. And the goal is for everyone below is to cut that poppy down so they're back with the pack, right? It's common. It's that, you know, when there's people wanting to achieve more, everyone needs to cut them down to yeah. make themselves feel better. I feel like Australia has a really poor culture with that is that anytime someone is successful is they are brought down. You see it all the time with rugby players, with, you know, any athletes is that they're successful and everyone wants to chop them down as much as possible because it makes them feel better about themselves for not being as ambitious. And that is the biggest cultural difference. I don't find that as much in the U S it definitely is, is, is there, you know, people will just like crap on celebrities for no reason. But I find Australia, we were re- very poor at that, and uh, that's something that needs to change.
1: I think that might be even represented in the way that we handle sports. Um, mm-hmm. If you ever go, to, and I'll use the word footy out of uh, out of respect yeah. to, uh, to Australia, but you, and I've been to rugby games as well, man. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to rugby games, and on the sidelines, my buddies, you know, fixing the noses like right in front mm-hmm. of you, and they're just snapping them back and they're heading back in. But when you look at the camaraderie, and maybe this just goes along with it, but when you look at the camaraderie of the people in a sports event is much different than the camaraderie of U.S. sports. You know, you'll have, you know, I would say the greatest thing we have is the wave. (laughs) It's about as far as it goes. So but when you look at sports teams out of like Australia and both of those, there's this huge you're together in it you know, you're, you're a part of it. And so maybe that just bleeds through that same thing. Like we're one unit. And and if anybody steps out of that, you know, maybe that plays its role. Um, I think that it's funny you say that because a little while ago you said you asked a question and you're like, uh, you had a question that blew up in a few different groups. And you said, I'm curious uh, with your friends, you said, if you could re- receive a full refund for your degree, but had to give up the credentials, what would you do? <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I asked that question. Uh, and a, like a lot of people kind of got up in arms about it. <laughs> um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I just like it's interesting. I think that too many people value the credentials versus valuing what's important, which is the knowledge and the experience. Um, because my credentials mean like absolutely nothing uh, as an entrepreneur, but like the experience and the people that I was with, that makes a difference. And I think that people need to realize that a little more.
1: You had some uh, some some of those processes kind of going back to the same time we were talking about agency stuff and you were talking about things like how to get 100 Instagram followers in a day. If you set a goal to get them, was um, was that a service that you were doing or were you teaching that process or, you know, are some of those same, you know, skills of getting to 100 uh, still viable today in Instagram? Do you even use Instagram anymore?
0: Yeah, so that that was actually a video that I did, the 100 followers in a day, where I actually physically asked 100 people to follow me um, throughout campus. <laughs> um, it was just a, uh, like, experiment. I didn't know what I was doing, like, back then. I didn't really have a business. I just wanted to, like, be known and influence and showcase, like, my knowledge. Um, so it wasn't a real strategy. And just a funny side note is, like, Instagram I just, we cleared through our ghost followers and fake followers. And we actually only have like 600 or 700 Instagram followers now because we cleared through a lot of the crap. Um, That's also because our old account got banned at like 8K or something. So we're starting fresh with Instagram. Um, I'm using it, but like, yeah, it's kind of disheartening that we only have a couple hundred real followers.
1: I think that that goes back to the conversation that you and I can have as well is that, you know, you have 600 followers, but how many of those do you need to have conversation with to turn into money?
0: Yeah. And was,
1: was there a time period? Um, I know that there was a time period for me that I got to a point where I said, well, wait a minute, if I'm trying to get my name out there, um, it, 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 where's the money. And there's a story about a girl. She had like one point, I don't remember what it was. It was like 1.1 million followers or something like that. And she was upset because she put up a link to sell a t-shirt and like no one bought it. Mm-hmm. You know, was there a point for you that you recognize and I'm sure through this process you're down to like 608,000 and that's the ego, right? Because it's mm-hmm. ironically when you mean, Oh, you get this clout, <laughs> but ultimately it didn't turn into dollars. Was there mm-hmm. a point that you said the business model has to reflect the dollars, not the clout?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that like, If I had a million followers with the systems and infrastructure that we have right now, we'd be making $2 million, $3 million a month quite comfortably, right? I think that people that don't, like with followers is how can you maximize the amount of people, like how can you maximize the amount that people are paying, but also the amount of followers you have? How can you translate that into more of a community and less of like followers? So I always look at things like as a community funnel versus like creating, you know, getting more followers is because I can maximize the amount of people in a community versus, you know, just followers who are stopping by, seeing some cool content and stuff like that. So for me, it was really a focus on creating community and then maximizing the followers by having real conversations with every single one of them. And that allows us to to really grow the business.
1: That's, that's, it's important to, uh, for people to recognize that because, you know, your congregation doesn't have to be that big to pull in enough to support the system. Uh, was there a, was you just talked about systems, processes and things like that? What, what would you say kind of looking back for you uh, was a system that got put into place that was kind of the shift? Mm-hmm. You know, usually it's an organizational shift. or Sometimes it's a pe- a person, a process. What, what was it that, um, or a software or whatever those may be yeah. but for you, what was a shift that went, okay, is, was it a management? Was it, a, was it the way you handled things? What, what were some things that opened up?
0: Yeah. It's actually mind blowing to me that most people who have any business where they are required to get clients to survive, don't have basics like a CRM, for example. The CRM was one of the biggest shifts in our business, not the software. I mean, we've used all of them from Salesforce, Pipedrives, all of them. The software really doesn't matter. I think people put too much emphasis into that. Whatever basic, whatever works, we use Trello, Notion, whatever. But the CRM is basically you wake up, you open that up and you say to yourself, like, where is my money? right? And that is where it is in the CRM. That was the biggest shift for us is going into the CRM and going, how can I extract money from this you know, software today? And looking through all the names, looking through all the people that you've spoken to. So many people don't freaking do that. They don't even know who was their last call. I can tell you who our last 30 calls with, with a click of a couple buttons, and I can message them all with a click of a couple buttons. And that allows us to consistently grow because we're on top of the people who have already spoken to. So many people miss out on growing their business because they don't have an accurate and you know, a consistent CRM, and that's the one thing that I would uh, account for a lot of our growth.
1: Well, I mean, I'll share with you. I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the re- the reason we're here today is because you you had a follow up system. And you yep. had reached out a few times, and I obviously I was doing my thing and and going that process and chatted a little bit back and forth, and then um, because of that CRM, I think that's a really good point. And I think that people undervalue a CRM not only in maybe making the sale, but also the relationships that you'll make. In yes. many cases, uh, what ends up happening is that I'll use the CRM to communicate, trying to kind of get people through our process. And then I'll recognize, you know what, maybe this person isn't a good fit for this, but you, you might be a good fit for this. And in that sense, I mean, you grow your network, so your net worth, and you may be able to, even in that partnerships are created, um, affiliates are created. So I think that you're right. I, I think I would agree with that. I would think I would agree that a CRM is going to be the catalyst or the shift that'll kind of change you uh, through the direction of your business. Um, so you stay more on on like the sales side um, as you as you've gone through sales. And this was a, a question because I as I went through your stuff and put it, it seems like uh, you you pride yourself a lot of in DM process and conversation through DMs as you've gone through that process, what what would you say is a couple of the things that stand out in difference uh, of, uh, and I, I'll say this because you went out, <laughs> I just thought of this because you went out there and actually asked a hundred people like, Hey, can you follow me? So like there was one-on-one like human interaction. Yeah. What did you, what have you found in the communication in a DM compared to maybe being in front of someone? What, what are the dynamics that you Maybe there's a frameworks that you use, or maybe it's just personal, the way you look at it. Um, what about uh, those two that uh, are different for you?
0: Yeah. All right. So I'm probably going to go in a little bit on this one. Um, so let's go. <laughs> the same feeling of making a friend is equivalent to making a sale. So, so often people are jumping into the DMs and they're like building relationships and building rapport. And that's fine. That's okay. You can do that. But that is mostly a waste of your time in the DMs because rapport, talking about the game, talking about the weather, talking about any other like useless crap, that's such a surface level. Hey, this is, you know, my bar friend, Jason over here. Surface level, not actual real rapport. Asking deep, impactful, meaningful questions is real rapport. So instead of focusing on trying to like build some crap, you need to actually dive in and figure out what's going on in this person's life. Obviously, you need to like say a few things so you can get and present that, um, you know, you can go down that path easily. But it's like who has a better relationship with you and who knows you better? Is it your therapist or the guy that you met at the bar? And who do you love more? Probably the therapist because they're open and you're speaking to them. So we so want to align with that sort of angle when we're going into the DMs, we're listening, we're open, we're asking important questions because that's where rapport is really built when you've actually said something to me that's impactful and I can relay my thoughts and feelings towards that rather than us talking about the score of the game last night, which is so surface level, it's pointless. So for me, the difference and the focus on DMs should be yes about building relationships, but building relationships through asking the right questions and deep and meaningful questions rather than just building like fake rapport.
1: I think this opens up a really good question, or at least opens a good conversation is, um, are you somebody that's, you know, I, I I ask a few surface, maybe three questions, and then I get into it. or Are you, or are you always peppering to extract that? Um the transition
0: is what I'm talking about. So the transition from like rapport to like going there. So yeah. For hey, us it's Billy, like, good, to,
1: yeah. good yeah. to meet you. You know, what's the score? Uh, do you want to buy
0: this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So uh, for, for us, it's, it's about your frame of starting a conversation. So wherever you start the conversation is more important than actually what you're saying in the conversation. If you're starting a conversation from, Hey, I saw you in this group, you know, great to connect. How are you? I mean, where is that going to go? It's, it's not going to go very far, right? And even we do that, like we build, we still do cold messages because it's a way to up the outreaches, like why not? But you need to have the frame of starting from that authority and starting from a position you know what the hell you're actually talking about. So for us, what we do more frequently than any cold message is starting conversations from your content. So that way your content now turns into a funnel. You produce something to say hey who wants this or you produce a great piece of content that resonates with people you get likes engagement and then you speak and spark a conversation from there so that's how we really move forward is we're taking things from warm but then on the colder angle if you are doing that a little bit is we build a little rapport talk and then we transition and see hey i see you do xyz and you kind of are assuming what it is we call it like a market statement like, hey, man, you you have a uh, great profile on Facebook. It looks like you have a group. You must be doing really well with, with business right now. And you're making an assumption kind of knowing that things don't look that great. And then they're going to open up and answer, hey, man, yeah, January's actually been a little bit slow, kind of like not sure what to do next. And then we go deep into that. So making that assumption after we've built that rapport is the way that we transition.
1: I think it's a really important... Thing. And I think that um, when, you, when you look at sales and they just what most people were in positions of sales were uh, for a long time would be that they really weren't aware of the marketing that was happening in front of them. Mm-hmm. And so salespeople will tend to get the lead And then they take the lead and then they pride themselves on being a good salesman, which, you know, I know people out there say 80% closing ratio. I call BS. Is it it laid up properly? Probably. But I always say if you've got 20% closing ratio, you're a black belt, you're doing well. However, I think the thing that you brought up, which is really important is that the other than the, the framing of the, um, uh, of the, Hey, you know, I noticed that you do this and I know you should business and kind of frame it in, in an, an emotional way connected to their, um, to their current situation or the assumption of their current situation. Hmm. But when you do um, a call out or you kind of use something as a lead Mac or conversation, what you're almost doing is you're already filtering the people that are willing to talk about that topic. Yeah, And I think that what you're sharing, and if if I'm on the right track from what you're sharing is that, It turns more into a warm conversation due to the fact that you already have a common ground.
0: Yeah, definitely. But And even more than that is that if you say, like, who wants this training, like, kind of like bringing it out to a, um, maybe a sports angle here. So if you posted, like, who wants my, you know, throwing touchdown training, like Tom Brady's not going to opt into that. Like, he knows how to do that. But someone who doesn't, isn't good at throwing and needs this is going to opt in and say, yeah, I want this. So they are putting their hand up saying that, yes, I have this pain. Please help me with it by the free training and then ask me questions. So really, it's about producing content that pokes and prods at people's pain and problems that they're facing. And you you solving that either through the content or through the questions that you're asking them is the way that you can get them to join and work with you. Um, and, and too many people just like produce content like, hey, you know, here's my training on blah, 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 like some silly training that doesn't really matter. Your training needs to be focused around what you do and the pains and problems that your customers are facing and you know, how you can solve them.
1: When you go through that and you've gone through um, for yourself or so, uh, how often do you feel um, you know, we've always looked at a, a, like a 10 and a 20 and a 70 rule or uh, however I mapped that out properly. I think I did. <laughs> uh, but how often do you like to pepper that in? You know, the people in here, I think, can take that. Everybody that's listening, or who's listening in that position and says they do that. How often do you find yourself saying, look, it's, it's enough time to pepper that question onto maybe an organic scenario like that?
0: So in DMs or on content?
1: That's a great question. So I guess that um, from the conversation, I think that I was trailing off of was that you are actually using it as a post organically, mm-hmm. and then attaching them to the post. Are you saying that you also would go into DMs and say, "Would you like this free training?" If there's no communication to get them to, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Good good question. So for our like colder stuff where we're bringing people through and they haven't really had much experience is like, we more so ask like, hey, we have trainings on offer, lead gen, client acquisition, sales, which one resonates most with you? And then they're going to give you the answer of what they're struggling with right now. And so when they answer that, we obviously, we help them out with the free training, but also ask more questions. How long has that been going on? What's the impact? Why is this not working for you? Cool. I think we can help. Let's chat. You know, that's the basics of it. But that question opens up so much because they're giving the pain and problem that is going on in their life.
1: You know, it's really, in, it's, it's interesting. And we, I think we all fall victim to it, but um, we forget the, and the better you get at the skill that you have and to close and things like that. And, and we free, and I was reminded again of this, and it's almost like you have, you get reminded all the time. There's an old saying, you know, uh, you know back to basics, right? <laughs> you played soccer, football, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, this isn't working. All right, let's go back to basics. And I think that those are the things that are just basics that people come back to. And one of them is that people really don't even know who you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they don't know who you are at all. And I think that there's this idea that you're on Facebook all the time sharing all these things. And then there's a new person that comes in. And then you're assuming that they're part of this, this group of people that already know. And I think that what you're sharing is like, that old saying of, you know, give a little and then get them to kind of be a part of you. Plus there's a little, maybe email collection there. Uh, but wouldn't you agree that we kind of forget so many times to go back that if we pepper a little bit and get them to have some information on it, then we got an opportunity for them to stick to you, I guess.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I... <laughs> I like this. This is not a, a true rule because there's there's differences to it. But I think it's a good saying that people should apply to their business is for every one hour of content that someone consumes of you, that is an extra thousand dollars that they're willing to spend with you. So if they've consumed 10 hours, 10 grand, 20, 20 grand, right? It's not an exact science. I've had people who've just seen me like what I have to offer and pay me 10 grand right there on the spot. But I find that a majority of the people have to see a bit of content and have to experience you a little bit before actually making a purchase with you. You know, we have a $49 a month offer, right? And some people like ask us 30 questions before they even sign up for it. I'm like that's that's craziness. <laughs> like I'm not getting on a call for you with $49, but that is because they probably haven't seen enough of our content and being like, oh yeah, Jason's free stuff. good. Imagine the pay. So for me, if, if that's the case, it's like, How can I get this person to consume more of our content, to be familiar with me, and to enjoy what I'm about and who I am, and then they'll want to work with me? And some people go wrong with that, and they don't showcase them because your unique and competitive advantage is always you. It is always so true, man. Who you are is yeah, exactly. Like it's it's who you are is the reason why someone buys from you, not what you do, right? And Yes, some people might buy. They're logical buyers. You have a good offer, blah, blah, blah. But people resonate with me and you know work with me not because they want the fancy watch or the fancy car. It's because they want a lifestyle of living life and enjoying it with their family, going to the gym, having a relaxed and enjoyable lifestyle. But then there's other people who want the fancy watches and they don't work with me. Right? So showcasing you as much as possible and who you are, competitive advantage and why you can
1: I think it's um it, your conversation what, what you just brought up reminded me that like nothing really goes the other way you know if if you look at bringing cars up shit you even bring up a watch or something and mm-hmm. you go into the the dealer and let's say you say oh you know I'm looking for this car what's the first thing they do hey man want to go for a test drive yeah <laughs> and they they get you in the car you get to drive that car when, in fact, you have no insurance. Yeah. You, yeah, you do show them a driver's license to so drive, but ultimately you get in that car. And during that process of the vehicle, they're now getting the assumption, two things are happening. One is you're getting them to like you as a person through the process and kind of hang out for a little while during a what fun experience. And so I think that what you, what we're discussing here is people need a test drive. Yeah. You know, they need to get a test drive into uh, kind of what is it going to feel like? What's this experience going to be like? And with all of using the same analogy, I mean, how many different vehicles are out there for people to go through? And it's usually when the person can get them into a car, it probably wasn't always the best car that would have been for them. But you got them in the test drive, you got them to look at it. And then while they're around. They're like, you know what? I could see myself driving in this car. And then they come in and they'll make themselves, you know, a $20, 30 40 100000 purchase.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The free, like the, the, the test drive is, is really important. And like knowing, sitting in that car, getting the feel for it, the smell, look around like that, that really is important. And there's like a key distinction there that I think some people do wrong and, you know, maybe wrong, maybe it's right. But some people use that opportunity as instead of like a test drive, they use it as like an indoctrination period. So it's like, how can I get this person to believe in what we're doing and indoctrinate them into my world? And I think that that's where a lot of like cult followings happen and right or wrong, but you're seeing it all over the place on TikTok and in social media is that people get indoctrinated into certain ways of thinking and then everything else is is wrong. I don't like that approach, right? Like I don't think that you should go and indoctrinate your audience. I think you should let them be open and make their own decisions. That will be at your detriment because they're going to choose to work with someone else. But it is much better. I would much rather live my life knowing that I have that positive impact rather than indoctrinating into people's minds and like changing them up there. Um, So there's a key difference there. I think it's important to understand.
1: One one is basically, you're saying, one is like a manipulative type situation. Um, And there's probably a little ego there, right?
0: Yeah, a lot. (laughs)
1: a lot. What, um, what was the, uh, what was the process of you then going from the agency and then saying, you know, this is now time. I've noticed that we've done this part of the agency to going, look, I'm going to coach now. And you came up and I'll throw it out there, but it's Mm coachesmonthly.com. Um, and you, you consider it as coaches grow predictably and consistently using the compound, uh, compounding model. There's a little Mm -hmm. plug right there for you. Mm -hmm. And in that, uh, what what made you have what made you make that transition into the coaching aspect? because there's a and it goes back to we had discussed earlier uh, leadership and sports and things like that. did you feel like it was a, a calling to do that or did you see uh, I want to be shallow in it, but did you see a, a financial opportunity that was there compared to the agency model?
0: Yeah, anyone who says they didn't see the financial opportunity by shifting to coaching is lying to your face right up. <laughs> so I I did I, I definitely saw that. But I actually didn't see that at first. And like me saying that and now admitting that, like, am I out of integrity? Whatever. But I saw it as we were getting clients, right, who were paying us, you know, two grand, five grand, 10 grand a month. And then we were going and turning around and making 50, 100 grand a month for these clients. And then they would still either fire us or they wouldn't be really grateful for what we were doing. And like, that's fine. I'm all well and good. I don't need a pat on the back. But it just felt like we were just helping people who could already afford our stuff get more rich and less impact. And it just felt wrong. I just didn't know what was going on. I didn't love what we were doing because we were so out of alignment. And so we started a Facebook group to get more agency clients, but we actually had people who wanted to start agencies join the group. And some guy reached out to me and said, like, hey, can you coach me? I said, yeah, sure. I charged him like $600 for like six weeks of one-on-one coaching. was ridiculous. But he went from a single bedroom apartment with a family to having his own house, quitting his job and, you know, making 10, 30, 40 grand a month. And that was the best feeling, right? Like seeing that transition and like the light in his eyes show up. I mean, that was a feeling that will never be matched. And that's what I want to do over and over again, every single day is selfishly feels great to help people. People people will never admit that, but it feels so good. Like when you give to charity or whatever, Yeah. yeah. So self-serving. And I think that knowing that is fine and admitting that is fine as well. Like you post on social media that you gave someone $100. And everyone comments, why do you have to post that? You still gave that person $100. You still helped them in the end and you inspired more people to do it. So I am very much aware of my self-serving, helping complex I have where I like enjoy helping and everyone needs to be aware of that. So that's a big reason we shifted is because I love that transition and I want to impact people. Obviously, I want to change as many lives as possible. Um, and then, you know, once we started getting results, we started to realize this coaching thing could be a real thing. We burnt the boats, quit the agency and went into coaching.
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, it was really funny. I had a guy call me up out of Australia, uh, ironically enough. He's like, Hey man, I've got this at the time. I also had adages. He's like, Hey, I got this, um, uh, mortuary business. And I was like okay I don't know okay. kind of what he's like but it uh, sounds like you kind of have some things I don't like if I pay you like a thousand dollars uh you know meet with me like twice the next couple of weeks would you? are you cool with that and I was like I, I couldn't figure I was like in my mind I'm like well I'll just tell you You know what I mean I was like, yeah, I'll, just, yeah.
0: I'll
1: just tell you you know because like, I had met him traveling and then that was kind of a moment that kind of made me realize like wait a minute people will pay for that quick knowledge to get the answer to like move them forward. yeah. And I, w- I was, I hadn't brought that up actually ever. Um, but that reminded me of, of the, the moment that you realized that, wait a minute, if you have a little bit of knowledge and you can get someone there a little bit quicker, uh, it's pretty fascinating how, how people are willing, you know, if you've done the right thing, create a relationship, how they're, how they're willing to kind of pay for your knowledge.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's like so big in shorting the time of what you can achieve. It's by paying people who already know what to do. Like, I, I just think that no matter what is coaching is one of the most important things that you, know, you can go through is the life changes that you can make, understanding different perspectives, opening your mind. Coaching is just the most effective thing you can do to change the way of life that you have.
1: I'll make a quick transition. Uh, what's your thoughts? Because we're in it, everybody's deep into it. Um, we all talk about shiny objects <laughs> syndrome, and people were like, don't do NFTs or buy some coins and do all these things. But we are here and now in AI. And I mean, if it's not over your feed, you, you might not have refreshed. But what's your thoughts on on AI? And, and I don't even have to attach it to ChatGPT GPT or anything. Um, But what's your, what's your thoughts on uh, our, uh, obviously the progress, but, but the um, just the industry shift with AI?
0: Yeah, I think that it's kind of overblown and overrated at the moment. Um, I think AI is going to be one of the most useful tools that we have and we're using in our arsenal as coaches, consultants, marketers, whatever. I think it's going to be fantastic, but I think that it's a lot overblown and people are trying to like, make it replace all of the work that they're currently doing and that's just not the case right now. Um for me I'm very like I need to see something for a long time for I for me to go oh yeah we'll jump on that. Like Clubhouse I always thought it was like a BS experiment, turns out it was. TikTok I thought the same, completely wrong about TikTok, right? So maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think that a lot of people should spend less time worrying about AI and focusing on it and more time like building the skills and building their business um because so many people are just trying to find a quick hack like AI can write all my content well yeah but like actually how good is that content it's not really so ai is here to stay i think the once notion gets ai i'm looking forward to that it'll be a big help for me but overall in you know chat gpt and content creation stuff like that i think that we're a little bit away from that being a viable thing
1: to do we're kind of at the toy stage kind of
0: yeah i mean like i want to see these people to talk about ai like how they actually use it on a day-to-day basis and i guarantee it's like not as much as they claim
1: yeah i think that um i have integrated it in, into my team in some things so that i can distribute things out um i have in you know placed it in there but you know i i watch a lot of the and it's cool don't get me wrong it's like you know, it's, it's it's like as a kid, the new cartoon that came out or something. But okay. ultimately, I'm I'm seeing a lot of like, you know, I use this to do this, this. And then it rendered this image of me looking like a, a Viking. And I'm like, how am I going to use that at this point? I mean, maybe there's yeah. a place for Viking. But I, um, you know, I'm finding that uh, I'm like, okay, where's the application? Who's going to use it? What part of the thing? Because someone still has to, to use it. Hmm. Someone still has to apply it. So I think that uh, I'm in agreement with you. I think that uh, let it play out, play with it a little bit. Um, I, I think that we even in my team we're, we dedicate a certain amount of time, we're trying to say, look, a couple hours a week, let's just talk gibberish about it mm-hmm. um, just so you're not kind of left behind. Well, um, in that as well, um, through the coaching, what's the uh, what's the next thing for you? What do you see yeah. on the horizon in the growth of your business next?
0: Yeah, the next thing for us is monthly recurring revenue and focusing on on compounding. So, you know, there was a stage last year and the year before where we we're like hitting record months, 100K, 96K, like all of these fantastic months and then wake up the next month and be at zero. And that's the reality for a lot of businesses that are constantly in that acquisition mode. And for high ticket coaching and consulting, like that's where they're at. If you get paying fools all month, you're not going to have anything the next month. So for us, it's about really shifting The approach and making things more manageable in terms of monthly recurring revenue and focusing on growing that because this month for example it's by no means a record month but every single cent that we earn will come back next month which is really cool because the month after that if we do the same as this month we can grow and grow and grow and it compounds versus just constant acquisition so our big focus is now creating offers around how someone can stay with us for a year Six months, four months, even versus just staying for us—you know, paying once and staying for a couple of months. So that really is our big focus over the coming uh, coming year.
1: And what are some of those triggers that he, you found? Are you finding that it's um, continued content? Is it a group coaching? Um, what what are? Is it com- combination? Is it yeah, an combination?
0: Yeah, a combination of of, of that. We have, you know, we have three offers. We have $149, which is content. It's constantly updated. We have a call every single week and we have a community where you can ask questions. Then we have another one. It's $4.99 a month. And that's where you can actually get one-on-one support with one of our coaches. You get in a Voxer chat. You can speak to them. You can chat about like any problems that you have. And then, you know, our mastermind, which is uh, two grand plus a month. So really it's like meeting people at different levels of their business and where they're at Mm -hmm. and showing them that they can get that support that they need without having to pay and go up to the next level that they're not ready for.
1: It. I like it, man. Well, Jason, this is uh, this has been a really cool time, man. Um, your story is pretty cool. I think it tells, uh, like many times, the, the struggles here in the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. It really comes back to the evolution. And I think uh, you, you put yourself through an evolution, man. You traveled from one country to the other. Uh, congratulations, having babies. And, um, you know, doing everything back out here in the U.S., growing the business and then also transitioning to new models and things like that. Where, where could uh, everybody find you?
0: Um, well, let's start with Instagram because it's a mess at the moment. I have a lot of content on there, but I have to follow followers, it. So it's just Jason C. Fox one on Instagram um, or on Facebook. If you just search Jason C. Fox, um, you know, the letter C in the middle there. I'll pop up. I have a Facebook group that you can join. It's on my profile. That's really the best place to to find and interact with me and my content.
1: Well, it's been an awesome experience, man. And uh, I look forward to putting this thing out. That uh, ends this episode of the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. Make sure that you like and subscribe episodes before. We have awesome guests that are there as well. And from there, thanks again, man. I appreciate you. Thanks a lot. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.